0: Money Mind, expanding your mind when it comes to money matters. Here's your host, Tanya Carlson from Amplify Wealth Management. Hello, everybody, welcome to Money Mind. I'm excited about today's guest, Chris McCormack. Uh, Chris is known to many as Macca, and he has an enviable professional sporting career as world champion in both triathlon and Ironman competition. In 1997, Macca was ranked number one in the world, winning both the ITU triathlon world championships and the triathlon world cup series becoming the first male triathlete ever to win both titles and be ranked number one in the world in a single season he was ranked number one for more than 26 months in total and in 2002 shifted focus to iron man racing uh, he won iron man australia on debut in 2002 and then again for a consecutive next five years um, He also competed in the Ironman World Championships in Hawaii and became Ironman World Champion in 2007 with a winning time of 8 hours and 15 minutes and 34 seconds, uh, including a a 2-hour 42 marathon in very hot conditions. He won this title again in 2010. And after 20 years, uh, retired from professional sport and focused more on his growing business interests, which include being the CEO and co-founder of Man of Sports Entertainment, Super League Triathlon, MX Endurance, RA Endurance and Phoenix Foundation. He seemed to collect companies like you
1: collect sporting medals. Welcome to the show, Chris. Oh, thanks, Tanya. Jesus, Ben, that was a long time ago, <laughs> the, the racing. I'm like, oh, yeah. wow. We're
0: yeah. bringing back all the old memories. So we're going to have to drill down into that brain today and, and um, bring out some of those those uh, memories because we do want to talk a little bit about that, if that's okay with you.
1: Yeah, sure, of course. Yeah, it was a, it's a lifetime ago, but no, it was a yeah. great time of my life and... And I took a lot from that period of my life. So, yeah, happy to to dive in.
0: Yeah, awesome. I'm going to start with two questions I ask everybody. Can you tell me about your cultural background and
1: upbringing? Um, My cultural background, my mother was from New Zealand. She was a Maori. Um, She came up, she worked for our New Zealand and she she came over to Australia. She met my father on the flight. Uh, my dad was a Bondi boy, um, grew up in Bondi. Um, 14 years older than my mother, so he was a bit of a tiger. And they got together. They moved. We. I was born in the eastern suburbs in Darlinghurst. Grew up in uh, in Coogee and moved to the Sutherland Shire at the age of of 12. And um, I have an, an older brother and a younger brother. And yeah, went to school at Kiraway High School here, and a great place to grow up in the Sutherland Shire.
0: So um, tell me, what's your money style? Would you call yourself a spender, a saver or an in-betweener?
1: I'd say I'm an in-betweener. I've never really – I often think this myself. I've never – I've always been passionate about sport and thrown everything into sport and bought things. I've never been a car guy or a yeah. or a fashion guy or so I haven't really got anything that I really like to spend money on. I spend money on experiences. I guess that's been um, part of my life, traveling the world and living yeah. abroad. I do enjoy spending money on things that I will that I can do as opposed to things that I have and own. But yeah. um yeah, I consider myself a good saver and and relatively yeah, fiscally astute, I think. Is Very good. Was. I like that word. <laughs> Excellent.
0: All right. So I'm going to go back and, and start into your sporting career. And I, I guess it's always nice to go back to the beginning. I, I read somewhere that you showed a lot of sporting talent in, in primary school. I mean, how did you get into triathlons?
1: Yeah, I grew up running. I think, uh, you know, back then I was born in 73 and so... You know, a lot of us back then there was no, you weren't really diagnosed with ADD or hyper. And I think, I, you know, knowing now what that is, I I think I was probably hyperactive and, and ADD. And I think my father and mother saw a, a great way to burn off that that energy was to throw me into to sports that wore me out. And that sort of dragged me to little athletics and running and, and surfing and surf club. And, and it was just a natural progression doing that. And I love doing it. And I found that I was quite talented at it. So triathlon sort of came about when I was at college, but I was really focused through high school on, on trying to make the Olympics as a runner. I was the best runner in Australia at a high school level, and I enjoyed doing it. I think when you're a young kid and you find something you enjoy, and, and especially growing up here in the Sutherland Shire, there were so many great peers to to look up to and to work out with and train with that uh, yeah. I just just thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, I think my father saw an opportunity through sport to to get me through university and, and to get scholarships through university, so... I think sport was really encouraged on that end within my household because, you know, I don't think Dad ever saw me, Mum or Dad ever saw sport as a, as a as an option for for work. I thought, yeah. thought they they definitely saw that as something we did after school. They were very very focused on our education, yeah. and uh, but it wasn't until you know going spending some time at the Australian Institute of Sport when I was in Year Ten and Eleven and and I was talent ID'd as a potential Olympian coming into the Atlanta Games. That I had these deeper conversations with my dad, and uh, he was more, more about look. If you can get a scholarship at the American University or an Australian University through sport, great. But that's where sport ends for you. Right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and that was sort of how it went by. And then I took a running scholarship at the University of New South Wales. I I, was, I studied a Bachelor of Commerce degree there, and um, and it was during that university time that I realised triathlon was a, a potential option to to pursue a career at. I was a good swimmer. It was just starting to become a, a big sport here in Australia. Yeah. And I was working at Sizzler at the time, between Sizzler and, and a nightclub here in Caringbark called Coyotes. Ooh. And I was, made, <laughs> so I was I was just, you know, I'd been a typical uni student, but I could find these little triathlons I could do around New South Wales and win $500 or $1,000. So right. when you're making $100 on the weekend at a, at a nightclub or you can make $1,000 at a triathlon down in in Nowra, I naturally started taking up the sport of triathlon and and winning these races and making some money. So I saw an opportunity there, which my dad shot down and said, look, pursue a career in triathlon if that's your dream after you finish university.
0: Good advice, Dad. I guess in in a way, I mean, it's kind of kind of good advice and bad advice, isn't it? Because you um, you've got that degree and you've got that to sort of fall back on, but at the same time, you did make a successful career out of sport.
1: Yeah, now I'm a father. At the time, I thought Dad was quite intense, but now I'm a father. I guess I totally understand where his head was at. At the time, yeah. I used to think, "Why you're more liberal like my friends' parents?" And <laughs> you know, my mates were flying up and living in, in in the UK or living in Europe and chasing this dream, and they all went to Atlanta and. I unfortunately didn't go to Atlanta. I was stuck at uni. Um, So I graduated in 96 and uh, moved overseas. Actually, I I took a job at Bankers Trust. I graduated at the end of 95 and I was working at Bankers Trust um, for about six months as an accountant. They put me through my master's degree at at, um, Charles Sturt University. So I got that out of them. And and then I literally packed up and and left. I I lasted eight months and and moved to to Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. (laughs) And and chased his career in sport, which was... I think Dad was a bit, Mum and Dad were a little disappointed, but ultimately it worked out in the end. Yeah,
0: it's interesting, isn't it? Were you actually selected for the Olympics in Atlanta?
1: No, and I was, I was selected. So basically Atlanta, I didn't go to the trials because yep. I was stuck okay. with the university and then yeah. that was sort of the catalyst that drove me to to move overseas overseas. Um, and and pursue a career I was, I was 23 I was twenty. Yeah. You know, I was 22 years of age I was like I was young okay. and I just said to dad and, and everyone look I've done all the I've done everything right I, mean, yeah. I tried at school I wasn't the best at school but I worked hard I've got the well, uni degree yeah. I've done everything I really want to frame myself into something that I'm passionate about I'm quite an obsessive personality anyway yeah. and um And and if it doesn't work out, at least I travel for a few years, I'll come back and I can lean on my degree. That was sort of my mindset. And uh, once once Australians make that decision to move overseas, when you do when you're doing sports outside of the the rugby leagues or the AFLs and the big sports that are cricket that are here, you know, there's a great Australian expat community that reside overseas. I I lived to Boulder, Colorado originally before moving to Switzerland and a lot of the cycling guys, Robbie McEwen, you know, yeah. Nick Gates, uh Hank Vogels, Cadell Evans, they were all they were all young guys living in the south yeah. of France and it was fantastic. And How fun. and yeah, just as I sort of built a career and and within what, eighteen months later I was world champion in a sport and and then yeah, held that world number one all the way through to through Sydney, through the Sydney that, Olympics. Yeah,
0: and that's I mean that's quite an achievement. I mean were you was that the sort of goal to be number one all the time? I and mean, is that what drives a sports person at that level?
1: Yeah, I think you know it it's sort of t- sports a relatively easy endeavor if you've if you've got some talent at it. I guess it's 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 just a matter of consistency, and uh, it really the sport of triathlon or running and most of those individual sports really suit my personality, and I think it's a personality trait that that sees people excel in either team sports or individual sports. Yeah. And I was I'm I'm very obsessive driven individual. I don't sleep. I I, I, I like solving problems. And, and the sport of triathlon really presented that to me. I'm I'm consistent with myself. I work hard and all the things I think I give credit to my mum and dad that really instilled that in, in us as kids, that nothing's for free. If you work hard, you, you, you get things. And and so it really resonated when I moved to Europe, there was a, a like-minded young Australians living there. And, and the big advantage we have is you're all in money-wise, to get there. So there's no, like, if things are going south, you, you solve the problem with your peers. A lot of the English or the, a lot of the American friends of mine that were there, you know, they're an hour flight in their home, you know, and, and and so if things aren't going well, they go and see mum and mum cooks them a meal and they sit down and salt for a couple of weeks and they come yeah. back for us. We have to sort those problems out. So it made you very, very tough and resilient and and, and able to to exist in new communities, which is tough, and, and, and travel on a circuit, which is very, very draining, whilst... It was pre social media. So whilst it looks, nowadays you follow it on social media, it looks yeah. glamorous and magnificent. Yeah, they're, the, they're the race days. Most of it's quite mundane and boring and and, and just about consistent work. So I, I, I absolutely adored my racing years. I was very, I'm naturally a competitive person. I really found that competitive fix was answered in, in sport. And for me, you know, being a youngster, you just want to be the best in your street, and then you want to be the best in your suburb, and you want to be the best in your region, then it's the state, then it's the country. Ultimately, you just you just follow, yeah, you follow this progression, and then it becomes yeah. you want to be the best in the world, and you want to win Commonwealth, World Championship, Olympic medals, and 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 yeah. whatever whatever challenge they put in front of you that is a measuring stick within your sport, you want that title. And I think uh, that worked for me.
0: That's how it progressed. Yeah, Yeah. fantastic. And did you have a team of, you know, nowadays everybody has a coach for this, that and the other, you know, a running coach, a mental coach, um, all those sorts of things. Is that something that you had?
1: Yeah, I I, I raced uh, my first year out of the country. I left, I was, uh, luckily I represented the Cronulla Surf Club at the World Surf Lifesaving Championships in Durban. And then from that trip, I went to Europe and I was racing for a French club in, in Tricastan, which is a small uh, sort of southwestern Europe near Avignon. And so I was based there, and they provided a lot of the coaching staff and and a lot of the the nutritionists as part of that club structure. But for me, I I I found a, a doctor at that point who she was a, a psychologist, and um, I always believed my in a bit my. My ability to be successful was more a mental one than a physical one. I, I mm-hmm. felt that I could scrap pretty well. I was, uh, I was able to suffer and push myself and, and, and do the workloads, but I, I often second guessed whether I was, you know, worthy of a title. And, and I usually, yeah. used, losing losing races for me came about, I believe, through my own personal self destruction, as opposed to being beaten by a, another individual. That's how I viewed it. And so, yeah. I my, my main team revolved around my main strength and conditioning coach, my agent, and Susan Krafner, my, my mental coach, who was with me since 97. She was, wow. yeah, she's amazing. And she, she worked with schizophrenics, which everyone laughs about now, but her, her PhD was on schizophrenia and the, the, the behaviours of athletes and the similarities between schizophrenics and athletes. Nice one. <laughs> quite, I wonder if you were the guinea pig there. <laughs> I always say that. Fair enough. But, I, you
0: know, I always find it quite fascinating that, Um, I think anything in life is is a mind game, isn't it? If you put your mind to it and you're in a clear space, you can kind of excel at anything you undertake. But it is clearing out that. I think, yeah, and I think it's really interesting to hear someone like you talk about self-doubt because I think often when we look at uh, someone who's the best in the world at something, um, you you can't imagine that there could ever be self-doubt in there. But that's obviously the damaging
1: thing. Yeah, well it's instinctively human to to question it. It's, it's a protective mechanism, right? We have fight or flight reaction, or yeah. most of the time we we question every action because fundamentally we're here to protect ourselves. So self-doubt is a protective mechanism that you need to get over. Everybody suffers whether it's in business, but in, in sport in particular, when you're when you're looking to perform. And you have to perform, and and you're under duress. I always call it duress. But when you're in pain, yeah. you know everyone's positive when everything's going well. You know Absolutely. if you ask if you ask the football team a month before the grand final if they're going to win, they go yeah they're going to yeah we're going to win it. But ask them the night before or the morning off. That's when yeah. the doubts come in. And yeah. and yeah. ask them halfway through the game when they're uncomfortable, they're being bashed up and they're being belted, and and that's the. That's how I, I quickly learned that it's, it's easy to be positive when things are great, but to be positive when you're under stress, that, that requires... Um, concentration and focus, and and learning mechanisms on how to how to yeah. deal with that.
0: So you you've know, got you you raised two points that I think are really interesting. Um, the first, I'll come back to it because I think under under stress, and I'll we'll come back to that one if I can. But the second one was you mentioned football teams. You know, ask them halfway through the game. What's interesting in a football game is that you do have a halftime break, and you do get that mentoring from your coach. and And I think. You know, there's there's a million of us that have watched any type of game. Would love to be in the room when, when someone's talking to the losing team and the winning team about what has to happen in the next half. Um, but in triathlon, whilst it is broken into three parts, do you have anyone coming to you about the the way you're going to tackle the next
1: part of the race? No, it's it's, it's totally alone. You're last. You know, I always say it's that morning. I always vividly looking back on my career, I always remember that morning. Look at yourself in the mirror. Like you'd go to the bathroom, you have your shower, and then you—it's race morning. You're very anxious and nervous. You have that that anxiety in your stomach, pity your stomach, and and you, you know, and everyone's delicately walking around you. like everyone in the family is trying to be, yeah. be nice, but it, it's it's a very lonely mm-hmm. time, right? And, and and it's it's what you miss the most. I, I think you miss wanting something so much or being so engaged with something so much yeah. that it means so so much to you. But it's a very um, peaceful yet daunting moment and you have to deal with those things and I think you you learn over time and 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 that's where I, I say Suzanne my my mental conditioning coach was incredible you learn behaviors and mechanisms that you can deal with in a race that keep you in the zone they call and uh and I think I perfected that relatively quickly because I don't think many athletes in my era and, and still to this day realize the strength of um of the mind of what it takes because it's not sexy you can't put it on Instagram and people yeah. don't really want to talk about it it's just not cool I'd rather show you in the in the gym lifting big weights yeah. how, how cool my <laughs> muscles are but that <laughs> doesn't win championships right championships are won by believing you can win and executing you know you can be the world's greatest trainer but if you don't execute you don't have a title
0: 100%. What, I actually think there is a bit of a movement to, you know, mindfulness, um, engaging the mind in, in better practices now. I think lockdown and coronavirus has taught us all how to be stuck alone and, and maybe deal with all that noise that goes on inside our brains and start to look at things like meditation and so on. Yeah. So I kind of feel you're right, but I, I'm hoping that there is a bit of um, and, and and again, it's not sexy. I don't know how you put it on um, social media, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I I like to think that perhaps that people are starting to pay a bit more attention to that side of it. But I'd like to come back to the part you mentioned before the stress, and and you know, I've watched many friends, people we we know in common, compete in Ironman championships, and it is. One of the most grueling things I've ever seen. I've done a mini little triathlon once when I was in my twenties, and you know, and, and thought I was a hero for that. But I just don't know how you make yourself push through when, because you must be in agony sometimes. In Hawaii, for example, uh, you had—I don't know what the temperature. What was the temperature that year you first won? Oh,
1: it's always up. It's always 100% humidity and, and yeah. 30, 35 degrees Celsius. But I always tell people it's the ambient air temperature because you're out in the lava fields and people are like, oh, okay, sounds hot. But whenever you go to a sauna next yeah. time you see those little rocks that they put that you tip the water on, they're lava yeah. rock. <laughs> so <laughs> that amplifies the heat. So you're, you're running through, yeah, kilometres and kilometres of lava rock. But yeah, I no. i was an accidental Ironman, to be honest. I, I always wanted to be uh, an, an Olympic athlete, Olympic gold medalist, and I did a couple of Commonwealth Games and I qualified for Sydney, but my mother Past. And so they dropped me from the team on the eve of the games, even though I was world number one. And I I really was devastated. I nearly retired from triathlon. Um, And so that's when I moved to the States and I gave up on, not gave up on Australia, but I moved away from the Australian Federation completely and and started running my own game. And, And in America, when you move to the States, they they invented Ironman, Man. And the yeah. only thing that exists in this in the States is, is their, yeah. their sports, right? And Iron Man is one of them. Yeah. And and I was in the at, at the same time, I, I went through with an athlete that everyone will know called Lance Armstrong. We raced as yeah. juniors together. He was a couple of years older than me. He did triathlon, ultimately became a, a cyclist and won a yeah. tour. He didn't win. He did win at seven, but they were revoked because of his drug use. Yes. But we had a I raced with Lance, so I went through that whole era. And and so there was a, whilst he was so negative, there was a lot of toxicity around what he did. At that time, he brought a lot of attention to triathlon and cycling within the United States of America. He won the tour in 1999 and 2000. He was, there was a Texas president in George W. Bush. He was from Texas. It had never been, so big. And I was able to ride the wave of that. and It brought a completely different demographic of people through. So I, when I made the decision to do Ironman, I actually thought, oh, look, I'll, I'll go and do, win Ironman because yeah. I did the Commonwealth Games. I'll win Hawaii and then I'll go back and I'll win Athens. But that okay. was my plan. But yeah. I had no idea how difficult Ironman racing was. Right. I just thought it was swimming, biking, running. Yeah. And the Olympic distance is two hours of racing, a bit less, an hour 40 of racing. The Ironman is eight hours, so it's four yeah. times the distance. It's it's completely different. And it took me, whilst I was mastering the Ironman races outside of Kona, the issues with the heat and humidity of Kona for me were were intense and it took me four years to finally get the mix right and start performing there. But I, I didn't enjoy Iron Man racing at all. Right. I um it was, yeah, it was Basically, I'd started down this path, and like like I said, I'm relatively obsessive compulsive. I um, once I started down this path, and I hadn't got the result I was after. I just continued until I got that result, and uh, right. and that's what I ended up doing. Ten conas, which was I'll never You're forget. Crazy man. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever go back. But they're like, you miss it? I'm like, absolutely not. No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I
0: mean, that's. It. And and do you think it's taken a toll on your body?
1: Um, I think I left at the right time. I, I see a lot of my peers that hung around, and 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 I see the beating up they took. But I, you know, I was ready to retire because I didn't love Ironman racing. And it, yeah, okay, you, you sort of fall into this into this position where you become the world's best, and you have all these sponsors and partners that. That rely on your success and mm. and it becomes your your main income source so you're stuck between this rock and a hard place people say "Oh, oh why don't you retire i mean well, I, I need i need the money if i retire and announce my retirement all my sponsors will drop me so you sort of i was preparing for retirement from the sports I, i'd had my sienna my Second daughter was born in 2006, and I was winning Kona six and seven, ten. So by 2009, I'd promised Emma we'd move back to Australia. Uh, I'd win Kona in 2009 again, and, and then I'd probably chase a London Olympic berth, but we'll be will be retired by then. It didn't happen that way. I I lost in 2009, so I went back in 2010. We moved back to Australia, and I I went to go for London, but I'd retired within my own head, and I was starting, but. A, I didn't announce that publicly because I wanted to make sure I could continue my partnerships with sponsors and be able to pivot, give myself time to pivot into my business interests, which which we ultimately did um, by yeah. 2012.
0: Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm going to come back and talk a little bit about that, but I just want to know in your mind, out of all the races you've done and all the things that you've achieved, I mean, is there something in particular that stands out as your favourite, the, the one that kind of makes you feel, you know, I'm really proud of that?
1: Yeah, well, look, winning the, the ITU Triathlon World Championships, November 16 to 1997, again, it was it was considered impossible. An Australian hadn't won that race since 91. A gentleman called Miles Stewart and. Greg Walsh, an Australian, had won it in 1990, but it was the first ever year of world championships, um, you know, official world championships. But we're going into an Olympic cycle, the first ever Olympic cycle. It was Olympic ranking points. Um, I'd been leading the world rankings all year. I was relatively new to it, so I'd gone from a junior talent to a, an actual champion of the sport. Mm-hmm. And I was going in as the favourite against probably the greatest, the greatest triathlete of our generation and top three in the world an English gentleman called Simon Lessing who had never lost I, wow. he, and he'd been beaten twice um, once by me earlier in the year and and once by another Australian um, later in the year and so he'd had two defeats in that season but was coming in as a five-time world champion favourite to win in Sydney and I'd as I told you, I'd left Australia when my father wasn't overly excited about my career choice to be a professional. Even though I was world number one, he just sort of thought it was relatively Mickey Mouse, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and, and and everything was happening overseas. And it was you didn't have social media, so unless you rang yeah. them up or they bought a magazine every month, they didn't know what you were doing. <laughs> Nowadays, they'd be more aware, and and. Um, and that race was held in, in in Perth in Australia. So mum and dad were able to come and oh, witness that race. So oh, wow. it was unreal. There's 100,000 spectators. And, yeah. yeah, to win that at 23 is something I'd always wanted to do since I was a kid. Yeah. And, yeah, it was just being able to say to mum and dad, this is what I do. Yeah. You know, and they're seeing how big it is. It's live yeah. on TV. It's you know, all the Juan Antonio Samaranch, for the Olympic people wow. are there, yeah, world champion. It was it was huge and it changed that literally changed my life. Yeah. You know, big sponsors came along and, and yeah. that was that was the changing point of my life. So that's yeah. to me will always be the most special race, yeah. even though it happened so early in my career. Yeah, yeah. No,
0: that's awesome. That's awesome. And so coming back to your businesses, obviously. I guess the businesses that um, that I'm aware of are mostly in that kind of sporting arena. Have they come about through those connections that you made at that time and those sponsorships and so
1: on and, and the people you meet? Oh, without question. I think my my first big deal was there was a company called Under Armour, which everyone's familiar with now. I'm really close friends with the founder, Kevin Plank. I remember wow. I was their first ever sponsored athlete. So really? I can tell a funny money story because for years, you know, Reebok and Adidas kept trying to sponsor me and and I'd done this deal with um with, with Under Armour, which was an ink spot of a company. Yeah. And every year, myself and Michael Phelps, who everyone knows, Kevin Plank the owner used to say instead of us paying you so much money why don't you take some stock right in in, in our company and I'm like no I don't want stock forget it just pay me cash brother cash and and it wasn't until 2015 when I was in Rio myself uh, George St-Pierre who was an MMA fighter and Michael Phelps were in we went down with Kevin in the Under Armour plane down to Rio to launch Under Armour in prior to the Rio Olympics. And Kevin brought out this document that basically said to me and, and, and Michael Phelps, had we have taken stock when he, oh. when, when he told us to take stock and he was telling everyone down there how much money we would have. And it oh. was and that was a hard lesson learned. Very, very oh, that's hard. That's really learned. funny
0: because I actually thought you were going to tell me that he was going to show you how much his stocks were actually
1: worth. But you, you didn't, we didn't take, take any. any. <laughs> no, no, we both of us kept saying, I don't want stock give us money. So we every year. Oh. And he kept paying us more and more money each year. Yeah. Like our, our yeah. deals were bigger and bigger and they were magnificent deals. And he was always saying, guys just take half this and half that and both of us said no and yeah it was it was one of the biggest (laughs) mistakes you ever made but I it was it was Kevin Plank who told me because he was a a, an NFL player he said your network is your net worth I always remember that and um and he said you're in a very very lucky predicament being a champion in sport because you meet a lot of people but you need to you need to engage that time not around your own self-importance yeah. But take your time to understand other people that are in your yeah. group and, and how you can work with them. And I really took that on board very early in my career. So I great, built a great network and that ultimately helped solidify a lot of my businesses. So when I after 2012, I took a job uh, in a, building a, a big sports center in, in Phuket, uh, where a, a German philanthropist called Klaus Heben wanted to build a big international school and sports center. And I'd written yeah. a book that he'd read uh, called I'm Here to Win. It's a New York mm-hmm. bestseller. Mm-hmm. and. He he, he said, look, I want you to come and run this centre. So I took Lennon, a group of us from around here, and yes. we went over there and we built this, this amazing centre and that's what sort of took me out of Australia post-triathlon and was my first venture running a running someone's major operation. And mm-hmm. I was able to apply a lot of the things I'd learned at uni but also able to plug into a lot of the networks that I created within sport and that was the beginning of, of building out a lot of our business interests yeah. in that part of the world that, that moved into Europe and to the States.
0: And what, what are you proud of in, in the business world nowadays? What's, I, mean, I mean, I guess you've had to pivot a bit given COVID. That's obviously mm. put a, a sort of a pin in a lot of probably plans or maybe a pause. What, what are the things that you're working on at the moment that you're really enjoying or interested in or, or maybe even looking at differently now?
1: Yeah, look, I think the the biggest thing I learned uh, before I what, what I always applied, I guess, in sport, and I, I I thought it was applicable in the business world. I guess you, you yeah. know you think was that yeah, I always believed everything anything was possible. Like yeah. if you put your mind to it and you and you worked out the problems, you can achieve anything. And I honestly believe that. And I, I yeah. guess like I never, I didn't. I always saw opportunity in 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 problems. Right? Oh, there's a problem. Yeah. We can solve that, and the problem will be solved. When I got into the real world, I guess, you know, there's a sports world, and I realise a lot of people don't think that way. Actually, yeah. most people don't think that way. But when you're around high-performing sports people, they yeah. all think that way, right? Right. They, everyone does. So they're, yes, they're, they're always this, this. yes, we can do it, or how do we solve the problem, or what do we, they're, they're, they're glass-half-full people, where in the real world, I realise that they're glass-half-empty people. They'll always yeah. tell you the problem and why you shouldn't do it, where it was a different mindset. So I think I'm most proud of that I applied my same sporting mindset to my business interests. When people are like, that seems like a, why would you go to Thailand and do that? That seems like, why wouldn't you? And I saw the opportunity. It was like when we started, when I built the money company and we started working with our clients, like Royal Family of Bahrain and these billionaire guys, people were like, well, everyone I spoke to here were like, well, why would they deal with you? But I was like, why wouldn't they do why it? Why not? That? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it it's just a mindset. So yeah. I think I'm most proud that I, the lesson I learned from sport, I applied outside of swimming, bike and running into another realm and it's just as successful. So I really believe it's a mindset, yeah. right? It's, and, it's, and
0: that's, yeah. It, it was one of my questions I had for you, what do you think the synergies are? But I think you, you've, you've nailed it spot on the head and it's, it's fascinating to me because, um, you know, I've known you for a little while and I always – Think to myself, um, you're the most optimistic optimist I've, I've ever met. You know, which is um, which. So you know, it's it's exciting to be around. But I hadn't actually thought about the fact that you were probably surrounding yourselves with, with like you said, those like-minded people all the time. So obviously, yeah. that's a normal way to be. Yeah, um, and, and and you're used to failing,
1: right? So yeah. so so here in the real world, and like <laughs> me and my peers, sporting peers always call it the real world. But yeah. whether it's real or fail, I don't know. But there's this fear of failure. That 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 restricts people from making taking the first step. Risk, yeah. risk right? In yeah. in sport, failure is a guarantee. In fact, winning is the thing that you're less likely to do. <laughs> and then, and so we're, we're so used to failing and then picking yourself yeah. up again and going, okay, what can I fix? And and that's part of the process. We hear failure is the end game for people here. They, like, oh, I don't think that'll work. So they never take the they step. Don't do it. They yes. don't do it, and that's where I think I found. I, I saw. My ability to navigate very quickly through this sports and entertainment space and build a, a great agency yeah. that's working was because I just grabbed everything. Had to go. Yeah. I just went, "Boom! Thank you. Oh, you don't want it? I'll yeah. take that. I can do that. I'll sort it. Of, oh, I can do that. I'll do that." Yeah. And people would say, "But do you know how to do it?" I'm like, "No, but I'll work it out." Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, exactly. and that was sort of how we were able to to really solidify our our ourself in this marketplace and and really grow our business and yeah COVID COVID has been difficult but I think we're so robust as a as a business we've been able to survive COVID and uh and, well with
0: and your your mindset it's not going to stop you is it so it's um, <laughs> not something that's going to slow you down but um yeah that's 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 really cool I, I yeah I really I think that's really important for people and I mean along the way other than um accepting shares is there any other money tips you've got for people.
1: Oh, yeah. Money, yeah, except shares. If, if a big-off company offers them to yeah. you take them. That's, <laughs> like a, that's a, a big company. one. Yeah, even a little one. Um, my my big, look, I, I've never been, in my money tips, I've always been like, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm frugal, but I've always, always been relatively responsible um, in the sense that I've i thought nothing can last forever, right? So I, I you know, and, and my wife and I often joke about it. I imagine it was just you and I, we'd be doing so well but you've got the kids and yeah. so you, you obviously <laughs> obviously your your mindset moves forward to to think of their future. But you know, I think the best the best lesson I've I've learned, and it's probably not a great money lesson, was if if you're doing it for someone else not for yourself, then it's probably not worth doing, right? Like, if you need to buy something if you need a Ferrari because the blade down the road is going to think you're cooler, then I think you're an idiot. Like, I've, I I only buy things I need and buy things that I can afford and I, I don't like debt, even though debt is good, right? And, you know, and I learned that at school and debt is a good thing. Good debt is good. But I've always felt a, a responsibility to Probably is because of my brothers. And then if I owe you money, I pay you back money, whether it's the bank or anyone. So I only, I'm relatively frugal and fiscally responsible in that sense. And it's not that hard. Like that when you, hard. if you believe in compounding, right, yeah. and, and it's just a basic, mathematical formula yes. you only need to make four percent a year every year just put hard. the money and just work it out it's it's Absolutely. not and then everyone sort of looks at you after 20 years i know all my peers that were in the 90s were well, making i make a million bucks a year in the 90s yes. and they're broke now but yeah. i'm like dude if you just put five hundred thousand out of sight every year and you were getting five percent that's how much you'd have now and they said they're going that's not right I'm like, Dude, that's that's a compound interest formula, <laughs> totally right. mate. Yeah. It's a hundred percent right, and that's all we did. So I believe in the strength of compounding. Back yourself. That's the yeah. best money tips I've I've had. And and well,
0: they are the best money tips. Full stop. Actually. So do you think that in the the sporting world that people get paid a lot of money at at a young age
1: and don't know what to do with it? Oh. I can tell you, hundred percent. I've seen yeah, it okay. my, myself. You, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to be um, a good athlete, right? And, yeah. and the issue, yeah, and the issue athletes have is you live in a in a vacuum. You live in a very fake world where everyone adores you. Yeah. Everyone does everything for you. Everyone, you're the best. You're the great. And it, if you're not mature enough or clever enough, there there is an IQ attached to this, I guess, yeah. to to understand that this is fake, right? Milk it for what it is, but yes. you you need to just because you win a race or you win a football game doesn't mean you're fiscal You're, you're an intelligent banker and know what to do with your money, yes. right? So you know, ask for help in the same way you do in sport, and uh, yes. but a lot of them don't. A lot of them think mm-hmm. they're they're, they're going to age like wine and and they're going to get better and better and and it's a very very small lifetime. In, in it sport. is, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess people don't think of the the tomorrow side of it. Yeah, yeah, and that, and a lot of the time, yeah, it, it is hard because you know you are obsessed and caught up in a very very little world, and everybody. I think the hardest thing to talk about anybody with is money because everyone thinks, everyone has an opinion, everyone knows what's best for their money, right? Even though they've got zero. I do this with my younger brother all the time. He's always yeah. broke, and borrowing money. And, <laughs> and but if you speak to him about money, he's always got the next best thing. Oh, you, gotta, yeah. like, you know, you know. So I think it's very difficult to have these conversations, especially with an alpha male or an alpha athlete that thinks they're the smartest, the greatest, the strongest. Yeah. Unless they have the confidence and to to, to put people in place to help them with that then they're going to fail and and i know a lot of people that did that that put people in place and that are very very successful and they put themselves in great positions and and that old saying money makes money it it is very much it's very true you're in you have opportunities that are presented to yourself that you're able to take if you have capital to work with but if you don't you miss those opportunities because you can't take them so and i've got friends that we were driving the great cars and did have, and when we did go to Europe, they were staying in the big mansions yeah. with the, you know, and they were, and they just burnt it all. And they've got, probably yeah. got the, one of the best watch collections in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But now it's uh, yeah, it's all yeah. It's nobody all over. cares. Yeah, yeah, now nobody yes. cares.
0: Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's look. I think it's something we we see a lot of, and and it's why we wanted to create this podcast is to open up the discussion about money. Um, you know, I, I I don't imagine all the superstars, of the sporting world, are listening, um, but but everyday people are, and you know, just encouraging people to talk a little bit more about it and, yeah. and take a bit of confidence um, in their process or to outsource it if they're not good at it is is what we think is, is really important, but it's also a little bit of putting a bit of brain power to it. You know, like yeah. anything, if you want to do good in anything, you've got to sort of think a bit about it how you're going to go about it. And I think um, we don't do that so much with our, no. our money, you know, it's it's tap and go and it's all online and up in the air now. We're not sort of counting out our hard-earned pocket money and, yeah. and, you know, it's changed. So, you know, I think that takes away from some of that, but I I really love that saying you mentioned earlier that you said Kevin Plank said to you, which is your network is your net worth. I yes, think that's gold. I'm going to have to steal that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's stuck with me, it's, it's always stuck with me that, and and it's so yeah. true because I've, you know, when when I've needed something or I've, I'll ring up. You know, Kevin, or I ring up, you know, Leonid, or I ring up. And these these people are yeah. multi billionaires, very, very, very. And I'm fortunate that they happen to do my sport, but, yeah. and they're very resourceful of their time. They're not, they're not, a lot of people go, Oh, you've got all these billionaire mates, they're giving you money. They don't give you anything. No, but they really will is. give you their time, and that time, time is valuable. And, and their opinion, I value a lot. They're they're They're, yeah. they're micro mentors without. Without question. And they're able to plug you in where they can. They're happy to do that. So well, you should speak to Joe Blow and, and that yeah. goes on. But going back to the money thing that you said before, it's true. I think I think there's a fear attached to yeah. to money, right? People, yeah. you know, it's so hard to earn it that well, the people are fearful they're going to lose it. So that's the same. Yes,
0: yeah, the fear of failure, which is yes. what you talked about as an athlete that you learn to overcome regularly because... You're always failing. You, you, you're more rarely winning. So um, people with money d- just feel that they can't afford to keep failing with money. <laughs> Although yes. some many people do, sadly. But um, you know, so that they, they
1: choose to do nothing. I think sometimes yeah, that, that that's failure. Yeah. That's not taking a step. I think the biggest failure you learn, and you can watch Ray Dalio. You can watch all the great the great investors and Warren Buffett. They'll always say the biggest mistake you can make is to not be in the market stop trying to read the market just be in it like if you just followed the S&P 500 since 1955 to now you put 10 grand in it'd be worth like just do the math it's compounding It's, it's 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 so the biggest mistake we can make is is to not be in the game and 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 I, th- I always say, my younger my younger brother is a bit of an investor. He sees himself as, but He's one of those painful investors that is constantly looking at the stock price and, and yeah. uh, oh, it's down. Yeah. I'm going to sell, try, trying to read the market. I'm like, bro, mm. let, let it go. It Don't and even said, look. The, yeah, the stock <laughs> price the stock price is irrelevant to the VAT, to, to what's happening within in the internals of the company. So if you believe in the stock and you believe in the company, then it's worth buying. But, um, yeah, there's, let someone like yourself who knows what they're doing and is in this space all the time and just – yeah plug the money in and be in the game be in the game yeah no it's
0: so true so true and uh, you know I also really love that get comfortable with failing you know I think that's something that's really important for people and you like and you're right in that real world sense as as you called it (laughs) (laughs) everyday life I guess we don't like failure do we we don't sort of Celebrate it, or, or see it as something we can just learn from and do better from. We sort of see it as a really terrible thing. Yeah, well, it's gossiped about.
1: It, yeah. You know what I mean? It, it's very much. Oh, did you hear Joe Blow? His business failed, and if so everyone's very fearful. We're in sport. There's only one. There was only one winner, so the, the yeah. other hundred people in the race all failed. So you've got more on the failure side <laughs> than you did on the winner side. So we used yeah. to always look at the winner, go bastard. Yeah. What was what do I need to do to be him? So you're always looking upwards as opposed to looking backwards you know and so i i think that that fear of failure it's it's just a it's self-doubt it's it's 100 built into your own protective mechanisms and if you can if you can go through your processes and look at everything and think you know what this makes sense then trust your instincts and go with it right like it's back back yourself and if anything it's a you you'll come out the other side of that journey a better person, anyway. You'll have learnt a lot, whether whether you're successful or you're not you're successful. Not. You've you're going that. to take those lessons and you're going to apply to them to something else. So there is no failure; they're just stepping stones to to something else. Well, that's that's another good
0: um, sort of point that you raised, which is take those lessons and apply them to. So that's those one percent improvements, isn't it? Yeah, if you yeah. just keep taking all those little failures and adding them up and
1: changing something every step of the way, you just get better and better. In sport, we call it marginal gains. Ah, marginal okay. gains. It's, uh, I like it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh it's, 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 it's the one percenters that make the difference. It's fixing those. Everybody is ninety nine percent perfect, and yeah. on a race day, it's that those little one percenters that make the difference. And yeah. and you learn those on on your lessons through failures, not your lessons yeah. through success. In fact, if you have too much success, I think you can you can miss a lot of the important things that may uh, are, are, you know, may motivate. Your business to some degree it may give you the yeah. protections that you need. So it's learning through failure that you know how to, to continually grow and scale and, and, and solidify and strengthen your business.
0: Mm. Mm. How do you as a parent um, teach your kids that, do you think? Oh, man, my, this,
1: my, my kids. <laughs> 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 I, I don't. I try. They just roll yeah, their oh, don't I listen. That. You don't listen. <laughs> but I, I, I feel I'm a, I was relatively similar. I, it's just a, yeah, a very different Upbringing, I was always obsessed with with sport. I was never in the house, um, and when my I never had daughter, I never had sisters, so I only had mm-hmm. brothers. So we're always doing something. So when my daughters are. Uh, yeah, they're, they're more social and they're with their friends and and I'm sure that I did all the same thing. So I yeah. I have confidence in 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 their individualism and 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 what Absolutely. they think they'll be able to do and and I'm happy yeah. to support them all the way and I try the best I can to. Yeah. But I sound so much like my dad did. <laughs> I, I I just hear myself sometimes and I think, oh my god, it's a shocker, isn't it? Yeah. The
0: minute, yeah. You, the minute you start spitting out those sentences your parents said to you, you think, oh, oh shit, yeah, yeah. happened Now we've really <laughs> we've really gone low. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> awesome. Well, Chris, it's been amazing talking to you. I love um, what you bring to everything in life. I think your enthusiasm is infectious. Um, you've been successful at everything. I'm sure you've failed at things too, but you've you've uh, continued to pick up and, and learn from it, and I hope people get a lot out of that today because I think they're really important things that we can apply just to life in general. Um, and, yeah, I hope everybody's really enjoyed listening, and thank you so much for your time. Too easy, Tanya. It was a breeze. This podcast is for general information only. It contains brief comments not intended to be the basis for decision making, nor to be taken as a substitute for personal advice. Please contact Amplify Wealth Management to discuss any matters that may be relevant to your individual situation. Money Mind. If you have any questions about your financial future, please head to amplifywealth.com.au. Money Mind is available to download and subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts.